Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Melanie. I do have my phone up here, not because I'm going to take calls, but because I made some notes in case I just draw a blank and don't know what to say because I'm nervous. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Melanie. I'm a compulsive overeater and a compulsive undereater. I'm so thankful to be here. It's just, it's, um, it's an honor to be here. And welcome to our newcomers and happy birthday. Um, I'm going to spend not very long on what it was like, because I don't think I would say anything that none of you don't know, because we're all here. Um, But just briefly, for those of you that I don't know, um, I have had issues with food from the beginning. Like, truly, truly, I don't remember a time not being obsessed with food. There's pictures of me with three bottles in my mouth. And I, I just, I just, it just, I just don't, I don't, I mean, I don't remember a time where I wasn't always wanting more, whether it was birthday cake or whatever. So, um, but I know that, um, I also know that my mom was active in this disease from the time I was, from before I was born. And, um, because she was slash is uh, an anorexic and bulimic, there was also this, um, this I, there wasn't a lot of talk when I was young about being thin, but it was, I know I subconsciously took it in. And so while I overate my entire childhood, I was actually, when I look back, I, mean, I was not a heavy kid. I was really normal. Um, but I hit puberty a little bit early, and I remember being 10, and my body starting to change, and I remember all of a sudden feeling like I am not, thin enough like this is not right I am not right I I there's something wrong about my body so when I was 10 I started over exercising because I knew to do that because my mom did that and we had all these workout tapes and I started doing them and I started and my my parents had split up at that point which I also know you know what's interesting is short segue I have a daughter of three kids now my but my oldest is a girl and you know she might have some funky food stuff go on it's like it's looking like maybe a little bit but I'm hoping the difference is what's modeled in our home is abstinence. Growing up for me, what was modeled was not that, and feelings were not safe and emotions were not safe. So I think that absolutely factored in. And by so food was always this safe place. And then when I was 10 and didn't feel like enough, I didn't know what to do with those feelings. I knew that food made me feel better, but I knew that I needed, or I thought I needed to be perfect. So. I just started the binge, starve, over-exercise cycle, and I did that from the time I was 10 until the time I came in here, and the gift is I came in here when I was really young. I was in my, I was in my late teens. I was in college, and so the amazing thing is I've now been in program for longer than I haven't. I can't imagine. I, I, I just can't imagine the road I would have gone down. I've seen the road that people in my family have, have gone down. Um, so... That's about as much time as I want to spend on what it was like, except to say that I remember when I went to my first meeting, and there's that checklist, you know, you are a compulsive eater if you, and do you eat out of the trash can? Yes. Do you eat burnt frozen food? Yes. Like, do you eat pasta? I just said yes. To, I, there was nothing on that list that I hadn't done, and that was also a little mortifying because I felt like, shoot, I guess I am supposed to be here, and I, I, 
I wasn't sure I did want to be here. And I was thinking as I came over, like, the crazy thing is, I was in college, and, I mean, that's just free. That's just, you know, there's freshman 15 is famous for people that don't have an eating disorder. But I was so in the, like, sugar binges and, like, then the living at the gym for hours. And I was so in that world. But when my roommate at the time said to me, I think she was she was in this program, and she's like, I think maybe you need to check it out. I the thing that I picked up on was like, I am finally getting attention for being skinny. Like now I am the person that people think is a little too thin, and that was so exciting and sexy to me. I was like, I'm not normal anymore. I'm like a little extraordinary because I'm too skinny. So I think honestly, I right, I don't remember why I went, I don't remember what, what gave me the willingness to go to that first meeting, except that maybe like, okay, that's what people that are too skinny are supposed to do. But whatever the reason was, like God was in there somewhere, because I went to my first meeting, and I, and, and she took me, and it was a meeting where there were a ton of young women. And I liked them, and I loved what they were talking about. And there was, I've always had a spiritual life, and a belief in a connection to a higher power. I, I wasn't always in, co- in intimate contact with that higher power, but the notion of a spiritual life and the notion of expanding that spiritual life had appealed to me from the time it was tiny. So the fact that that was being talked about felt really good, and I just liked them. So for the first year plus in program, I pretty much worked the social aspect. I made a lot of outreach calls. I made a lot of friends. I went to a lot of meetings. I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't work the steps. Um, I did pick an abstinence, ran it by some people, stuck with it. Um, but then on my natal, and, I, and it's funny because I, I don't remember a whole lot about that first year. Surprise, because I was still, you know, trying to control things to a certain degree. But my natal birthday, I remember this so well. I went out to dinner with my then boyfriend, and I remember the dessert that they brought me because it was my, you know, my happy birthday dessert and, like, the writing on it. And I just went to town on that thing. Like, it was enough dessert for, like, six people. And I just went for it. And to the point where I was sick. And I've never been a successful vomiting bulimic. I tried, but I never was successful at it. And that night I, I actually threw up just from gorging myself on this dessert that was enough for six people. And it was a new bottom for me and again like what's so crazy is I can't it was not like I was struck down on my knees and knew that things had to change but for whatever reason the next day or then within the next couple of days I was at a meeting and I was getting a sponsor and I started working the steps so a power greater than myself intervened it was not my um, logical thinking because left my own devices I probably would have just gone to the gym for two weeks um, so I at that that was the beginning of the abstinence that I still have. Um, and in August, on August 1st, if if I keep working this program and if I maintain my conscious contact with God, I'll have 19 years of abstinence. Um, and what that abstinence is, for those of you that are new, and, you know, we all get to find our own, which is the amazing thing. I'm such a perfectionist, and I want things black and white, and I want the rule book, and I want to be able to follow the rule book and then get the cash and prizes. 
but that's not how this program works. So my abstinence is, as someone else said, I keep it simple. I don't binge, I don't purge, and I, and, and I don't starve myself. And purging for me, again, was not through vomiting, but it was through exercising and through herbal laxatives. Um, so, I, so that's what I haven't done for 19 years. And within that, sometimes I do really strange things with food. Nothing strange like I used to do. I don't eat out of the garbage. I don't eat spoiled stuff off the floor. But... My husband will look at me sometimes and be like, are you still hungry? And he's a normie. And <laughs> then I know I'm, like, starting to pick stuff in the kitchen, you know, whatever it is. And the amazing thing is, I think the – there are – I'm gonna, uh, there's so much I want to talk about, but the greatest – do I dare say greatest? I'll say one of the greatest in case I decide there's another greatest. But one of the greatest things, deepest, most powerful things for me in recovery is – Self-acceptance, self-love, like self-love and, and compassion for myself. So I can do something, whether it's with food, whether it's another person, whether it's totally screw up something with work, and I can talk about it. I can do a 10-step on it, I can, meaning for those of you that are new, there's a, uh, some writing that we can do with some criteria in it, and I can let it go really fast. And the longer I'm in here, the faster I can let it go. I still sometimes have to hold on to things for a while, but nothing like I used to. And even if I'm holding on to something right now and I'm insisting on beating myself up a little bit, there's a big part of me that knows that's just the, the tapes in my head and that I am a child of God, a child of higher power. And God doesn't make mistakes, and I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be in my life, and my life looks the way it's supposed to look. And my character defects are for a reason. You know, these days, I have three kids. They're six, almost six, three and a half, and seven months. And the way that I beat myself up the most right now is probably through when I, when I make mistakes as a parent, when I'm not the parent I want to be. And I can chew on that for so long, and then I have to remember, like, if I was not supposed to be wrestling with this character defect that got me into that hot spot in that moment, I wouldn't have it. You know, all of the ways that I am so wildly imperfect, I really do believe, I, I'm not just saying this, I really believe are so that I can draw closer to God. Because if I was, you know, enlightened and living on air and had, you know, never got mad, what, like, why would I need a higher power? You know, I'd be running the show. To drink some water. Hold on. <laughs> um, so there was, I, I did take some notes, which um, one thing, because we were in Hawaii a couple weeks ago, and it was just this beautiful, really spiritual time, and I got to, like, walk on the beach every day, and I kept having these little epiphanies. And I was walking one day, and something occurred to me, which is, you know, in the big book, it talks about our, our wildest dreams coming true. You know, we're going to have a life beyond our wildest dreams. And so I'm kind of segueing into what it's like now. What happened is I got a sponsor, and that sponsor, okay, so, sorry, backtracking, I do this. Um, when I got that sponsor and I started working the steps, that sponsor was actually not somebody super available, which really worked for me because I still really am struggling with intimacy. So a sponsor that was sort of didn't really like me, I didn't think, and didn't, <laughs> I, and kind of rushed me through the steps, but still I was doing it. And then I remember meeting a woman at a meeting, and I was like, that woman has my story. I asked her to sponsor me. She said, call me in February. It was like September. And I said, I'm marking in my calendar because I am a straight-A student. And I marked it in my calendar, and I called her in February. And she was like, okay. And, but she started sponsoring me, and she changed my life. She changed my life. I felt so loved, but so I needed to be so accountable. 
And I cannot say enough about sponsorship, both having a sponsor and being a, a sponsor. I need to be accountable to someone. I cannot work this program alone, and I can't work it just in meetings, because the level of detail that I go into with my sponsor in terms of my food and the mess in my head allows me to, to get past it, allows me to stay abstinent, allows me to recover. And being a sponsor is, when I get calls from my sponsees, I hear myself saying things to them that I need to hear that day, or I just get to get out of my own BS for a while and be of service, you know, think about somebody else. So anyway, that woman changed my life, and she's actually no longer in these rooms, although we're still really, really close. And from then, I've had a couple of just extraordinary women sponsor me. The woman who sponsors me now, I want what she has. Like, the more I know her, the more I want what she has. And it keeps me working hard most of the time. And if I start slacking off, my life shows it. My relationships show it. My food shows it. And I have the willingness to get back. And that's a God-given willingness. So anyway, what it's like now, our wildest dreams, as I was starting to say. I, I, for years, thought that my life beyond my wildest dreams meant that I was going to have everything I want, just more of it. You know, <laughs> like, I, I know what I want, and I'm going to have that and then some. And I was waiting for that for a, a long time. And I think the problem with waiting for that for me um, is that I miss a lot of the blessings that might be dropped into my life on a hourly or absolutely daily, definitely if I look back over a span of time. And I can genuinely say, I don't know what's happened in the last couple months, but there is something, I, something has shifted in the last few months for me where I feel like I have deeply, finally, truly surrendered how I think my, my career is like my pickup. Like I will pick up work and what work is supposed to look like and how much money I'm supposed to be making and the jobs I'm supposed to be getting. I will pick that up. And I, that has been so lifted from me. Um, the other amazing thing is, is I have, you know, three kids in like, and 20 years into this program, my body is different than it was when I came in. Things are looser than they were, you know, all these things. And yet, I am more comfortable in a bikini now than I was on my honeymoon. I was absent in program for a while on my honeymoon, but I remember on my wedding, I look back at those pictures and I'm like, oh, I could go back. But I remember feeling like, Oh, if, if, if this was just a little tighter, lifted, you know, whatever. And now I've been married for seven and a half years, and um, I'm with my husband for 13, and which is a gift of this program. Um, I am, I am just at peace. It doesn't mean I don't have moments where I'm like, ah, you know, am I enough? Is it enough? Should I do more? Should I? Should it look different? But there's just this level of ease and comfort and happiness in my body and in my life. And I have heard people say that before, and I have felt little glimmers of it, and I am just experiencing it right now. I don't know why, and it could be lifted tonight. You know, I could wake up tomorrow and be like, you need to do X, Y, or Z, and, you know. But for a period of time, I've really been experiencing that. Um, it might be the desperation and sleep deprivation of, you know, just, like, not having time to obsess with three kids, but... Um, but I, but I don't think so. I actually really think it's God, and I think it's, I think it's the gifts of this program, and I think it's just coming back and coming back and coming back and being honest and being more honest and being more honest. Um, I think one of the biggest differences in my life is, um, and even well into abstinence, 
you know, we say, I've, I've heard in here, I've heard in another program that I work, that happiness is not having what I want, it's wanting what I have. And for today, I actually want what I have. It does not mean I do not have dreams and aspirations and wonderful things that I would really enjoy showing up in my life, but I really want what I have. And that, and part of that, I think, is, um, is in the step work. And it's in... It's in knowing that, you know, first of all, in the first three steps, and I turn my will and my life over to the care of God. So if I'm going to really turn my will and, the care, and my life over to the care of God, and in the third step prayer, it says, I offer myself to you, which does not mean I get down on my knees and I tell you what I want, and I hope you give it to me, and if you don't, I'm going to throw a fit and I'm going to obsess. It doesn't mean that. Like, offering, and I really have been thinking about this word lately, like, offering means, like, I am giving myself to you. I am opening myself up. I am giving myself to you. Let's see what happens, you know? And, like, let's, and and because in step two, I get to really, I, I get to elaborate on and articulate what I believe a higher power is, I actually do believe that that higher power has my best interest in mind. So if I believe that and I'm going to offer myself to that higher power, it means, yes, I can want what I want, but that doesn't get to be the first, that doesn't get to be higher than this surrender. Um, So I think that's part of it. I think it's in steps in six and seven and really looking at my defects and knowing that I am this psycho perfectionist and that, and I'm also like, it's that not enoughness. It's that not enoughness that had me in the food. And if, if I'm not taking that out and eating, then I, you know, I have to be so careful with social media because all I do is go on social media and look at everybody else and feel like not enough. I can say I'm going on it to like look at my friend's cute kids, but all I do is like, God, she decorated that room really well and I didn't. And, you know, or like someone's is doing this job and why didn't I go out for that job? And if I was more organized, I could have gone out for that job. Like all I do is take myself down. So I have to know that that's my, that's the character defect too, that like feeling like if you have it, I can't have it rather than like there's enough for everybody and you get to do what you do beautifully and I get to do what I do and we're all going to, you know, be okay. And then it's in my 10th step and I really feel like the 10th step I'm doing now it's so simple, but it has just been profoundly effective. I I do email my food most of the time. My sponsor, you know, she says, e- like, email it if it helps me. And it really does help me because my food plan, which, again, if, if for our newcomers, if any of this sounds like what am I talking about, or if you just, if you don't like anything I'm saying, keep keep going to other meetings. There, Everyone has a different story and says it differently. Um but my food plan, meaning, you know, generally what I eat I, is three meals and two snacks. But sometimes it doesn't look exactly like that at all. And by emailing my food, I know if that was really like a meal that had to be split up because of scheduling or whatever, or if it was really like I was raising all day. Um, so emailing it helps me stay accountable and let it go. And also know if there's something like if there's a commitment I need. Sometimes I text commitments about my food, like, I am going to sit down when I eat today, or lunch is done, or this particular food is not an option today, because that's, that's a surrender for me. Then it's like, I give it to God, and I can go on, and I'm like, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I, if I do this, and I can't do this, and blah, 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 because even in abstinence, I can still do that. Um, so I email my food, but then I, I email five things I'm grateful for, five things I did well, five things I'm powerless over. So at the end of the day, every day, I'm going through a little gratitude list. I'm looking at some successes in my day, and I'm turning five things over. And it's so simple. But honestly, since I've been doing that, I have felt this shift. And I didn't, 
I didn't line, line all that up until kind of thinking about, what well, you know, what did I want to share tonight? And and I see that that's, like, if I look at, well, what's, what's the difference in my program between, you know, prior to now and now when I am feeling this tremendous amount of just joy in what is, part of it could just be God's timing and the miracles happen when they happen. And I suspect that part of it is that on this daily basis, this is what I'm reflecting on. Um, and I and I have, I could list more than five things in those categories most of the time. So, um, what else? Let me see what else I wrote down. I wanted to say since for the moment I'm I'm drawing. Oh, this is a big one for me. I knew I wrote that for a reason. Take a wide break. Mm. So, as I mentioned a little bit before, um, I am a. I like things black and white, and I've heard a lot of people share that in here. Like, I'm either binging or I'm starving. I'm either not eating anything or I'm eating everything in huge quantities. Um, I'm either successful or I'm not. Like, I like my, not my deep God self, but, you know, my head likes to be able to categorize that way. And, wow, I feel like my life, like one of my lessons from God and one of the things I get in recovery and why it was so perfect that I got the sponsor that gave me this broad abstinence is because my entire life is about getting comfortable in the gray areas. Like, I, my food is not black and white. Nothing in my life is black and white. And it gets so uncomfortable for me sometimes. Like, I am at home with my kids a lot, but I also work. So if I, if, if I need to make that black and white, it goes to I'm not a good enough stay-at-home mom because I'm not home all the time and I have some help. But then I'm not enough good enough working mom because I'm not out of the house nine to five, you know, bringing in hundreds of thousands of dollars for my family every year. It can look like that. It can look like, um, like if my, you know, if my kids are having sleep issues or whatever, like we're either like doing it and we're going to like, we're going to be militant, we're going to not, or we're just going to let them sleep in the bed and let them get up at four in the morning. Like, it's like, it's that polarity in everything. I can just find it wherever. So whatever area is up for me, usually my job is to come back to accepting that it's gray and it's messy and it's not defined. And what do I, like, what do I want to do with it that day? This is not about... I, I'm still a list maker. I love my lists. But I have a little promise to myself that, like, I don't add to the lists unless what's on them is done. And sometimes I get sponsor direction to take some things off. I don't do – I haven't done, like, five-year, ten-year plans in a really long time. I love and admire the people that do. But for me, it just sets me up for, like, for that kind of polarized thinking. Like, it has to be like this and it has to be like this. And if it's not this and it's this – I, the gray is where, for me, where my higher power really comes in, and I get to just say, what is the next right action? Who do you want me to be today? Who do I get to be in this moment? And that tool of the pause, that famous pause that we learn about in here, um, is what helps me when I remember to do it, (laughs) which, you know, like a lot of times I'm impulsive, and whether it's something, you know, that I just can't help saying or acting on in that moment. Usually it's nothing that's going to cause too much harm. I have, you know, I'm grateful that my relationships are, are clean. But if I can remember to pause and just take a breath, like a breath can do it. I don't have to sit down and meditate for 25 minutes every time. I don't know what to do about something. I, if, if there was time for that, it would be amazing. But um, 
you know, closing my eyes, taking a breath and just saying like, okay, this is uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. Do I do this? Do I do that? Like, what is it? And then I just wait for the next intuitive thought. And that's in the big book. Like the, like the slogans, the answers to things, it's in there. It's in the literature. And I am not one of those people that can quote the big book from start to finish and knows what page every quote is on. I'm, I'm not that person, but I have worked the steps several times and have gone through the big book a couple of times to do lots of God shots in the big book where I just say like, what should I read today? And, you know, flip it open and see what jumps out at me. And all the things that we hear, you know, we hear each other say all of the time, if I can come back to them, they, they really can save my thinking, say, and then save my heart, save my soul in that moment. Um, so it's just, you know, I do the best I can on a daily basis to remember that. Sometimes I have to, you know, write it down and, like, put it in a place in my house where I'm going to see it. Or, you know, I have a good friend who sets little reminders on her phone. If I ever remember to do that, that would be genius. <laughs> Maybe you will remember to do that if that works for you. But, you know, it's like whatever, whatever is going to plug me back into, that's right. I don't have to run the show. My only job in this moment is to be present to what's going on. And I heard someone say the most beautiful thing at a meeting earlier this week, which was God is the spark behind good, I don't know if she said good or loving, but thoughts and thoughts and actions. So like really my only job in that moment, if I don't know what to do, is pause and like choose the kind or loving thought or action. You know, whether that's something towards myself, like I'm so famous. I, I, I fell asleep at the wheel. This was like 14 years ago, but fell asleep at the wheel and, you know, thank God it was on a little residential street and ran into a parked car because I refused to sleep. I had too much to do and I, you know, and I wouldn't rest because it was this new and it was this new and it was this new and this was new. And so it's like maybe the loving action is like put my feet up, close my eyes for five minutes or turn everything off and go to bed early. You know, maybe the loving action is there's that little nudge I've been getting about reaching out to that person about a work thing, and I keep not doing it because what if it doesn't go, you know. Maybe the loving action is to do that. Maybe the loving action is to just forget about my plans for the day and tune into the person I'm with, whether it's someone in my family or a friend or a sponsee, and just be there. And, again, this can I feel like as I'm saying this, can, this can all sound like all I do with three my days is be present. It's so not. I'm so in my head so much of the time. But this is... This is what I strive for. This is what I get reminded about through my sponsor, through through just this community. Um, my oldest recently said to me, you know, Mom, nothing happens in God's world by mistake. <laughs> like, she's, she's quoting on acceptance. And, um, and I, yeah, I asked, what do I say to that? <laughs> you know? um, so... Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I and um, so. How much time do I have? Um, All right, I'm gonna stop in a second. Open for questions. I think. um, Yeah, I've, I've, I think I've said the heart of, of what I really, what's really, what I'm really present to today in my recovery. I feel I'm a lifer in this program. Again, when I have tricky days with food, or, or really tricky days with my feelings um with my relationships I have to go to another program for relationships as well um I'm just reminded that's why I never leave 
You know, if, if, if I never struggled, I might be tempted to leave. And I have been at times. Like, you know, the, the more I don't go to meetings, the more I don't want to go to meetings. The more I go, the more I want to be there. Um, so um, I will stop for questions. Thank you. <laughs> yes. May I ask two? Um, first, I'm curious how, because you're always open to spirituality, but I'm curious what your spiritual practice is like now and how that's evolved. And then the second is what's your relationship like with your mother and her disease now and what kind of reconciliation did you find? Okay, cool. So I will repeat the question. So it's a two-parter. Um, the first part is, if I was always open to spirituality, what is my spiritual, let me, let me know if I'm getting this right, what does my practice look like now? And the second part is, given that my mom is, always was and is active in this disease, what does my relationship look like with her and how have they reconciled that? Okay, so um, my spiritual practice now is, concise. <laughs> um, in terms of my daily, it's sort of the formal, the daily formal stuff. Um, Ten years ago, it was an hour-long thing in the morning. Now, it is in the morning at some point between 6 a.m. when my household wakes up and 8.30, somewhere in there. I make my way into my room. I have a little altar space, where the, and I have a drawer that's got all my program literature and then some outside stuff, too. I read the daily reader, one of the daily readers from this program. I might read something else also. Um, I get on my knees. I first just take a couple of breaths to kind of land. Um, I pray for, I'm always, I really, really strive to remember to pray for other people because, again, I'm so self-obsessed. I can catch myself only praying for myself. But I say some prayers. And then, depending on what the morning looks like, I will meditate for one to ten minutes. And that's really what it looks like right now. And then, you know, I'm actively working a fourth step in another program. So if I've got the time, I'll write on that, um, you know, or do some other writing that may come later in the day. And then, so that's my formal spiritual practice throughout the day. Again, it's this, um, if I need to just close my eyes and say some prayers on the run, I do a lot of that. If I need to call a fellow and turn something over to my higher power via that fellow's voicemail, I do that. And then at night, I do my 10 step. So that's the... That's the part of it. Um, and then in terms of my mother, um, again, I feel like this is, uh, this is God because my relationship with her has been pretty fraught until about three months ago. Um, I, she is an incredible, an incredible grandmother. The most She lives here, so she's around a lot. Um, she is so loving towards me, and I have not been able to take it in at all for years um, for reasons which we can talk about, <laughs> you know, at some point. It would take me a long time. But um, a couple months ago, something came up in a conversation, and I just found myself saying stuff that I had no intention of saying, I had no plan to say, and I was more honest with her than I've ever been about what my experience has been like being her daughter. And... It's not that now we're going out to lunch every day. We are not. I do, I, we are not going out to meals. But, um, but I like the hardness that I've had that I've prayed so much about and sought so much outside help about and worked the steps so hard around. The hardness has, for, has a huge part of it has been lifted. And there's been a lot of acceptance of her. 
And again, I don't know what happened, but she emailed me early this week, like asking me about meetings, asking me if I knew of, you know, some outside help that specialized in eating disorders. I'm not asking a lot of questions. I'm giving the information. We'll see what happens. Um, so the reconciliation has been very recent. I hope there's more to come. Um, and it's just about, I've just been willing to accept where we both are right now. Thank you so much. It was really great to hear you. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you worked 2006 and 7? Like it originally when you did the staff and then if you continue to work it and anything that's worked really well? Yeah, sure. So the question is um, if I could talk about how I've worked 6 and 7 both the first time and then now if I go back and work them again. Um, yes. The, the first time um, I, I, the first time was similar to the second and third in that um, I use the, well, I've done it in the OA 12 and 12 and the AA 12 and 12, because I think they're both amazing. Um, and I read the step. This was sponsor direction, but it ended up being different sponsors had to do it similar ways. Read through the step, and this is how I tell my sponsees, read, and then read through the step again. I underline what stands out for me. I go back and I write on it. Um, I then, when I made my first list of my character defects, um, the sponsor I had at the time, who was so wonderful, so wonderful, having write out, you know, what is the, like, what's the downside of that defect, but then what's its opposite? Like, what's the upshot? Like, my perfectionism is a curse if I take it to that degree, but if it's in its right place, I'm, like, I'm aspirational, you know, and there's things that I really want to do, and I'm productive, and I'm, so she had me write that out, and that really helped me kind of see where these things, it's not that I needed to get rid of these things, they just needed to find their right place in my life and in my spirit. They didn't, they didn't get to run the show. They didn't get to be more important than God or about results so much. Um, and how I work them now is when they come up is the seven step prayer is one of my favorite prayers. And I will do little mini, you know, mini inventories, but mini sixth and seventh inventories. Like, all right, let's go back and look at what is this defect? Like, what's it doing for me? What's it how is it working against me? What would my life look like if I, if I, if it was lifted? Um, and then I just have to pray really hard to accept my higher powers timeline with it because I really wish a couple of these were gone and never coming back. But it's like the food for me. I don't, I don't, ex- I have not experienced. I ne- I stopped obsessing about food and it never came back. Like my character defects. This is that living in the gray. I can have a reprieve and then they come back. So I just have to just. Work it defect by defect as they come up. Anything else? All right, I guess. One more. Oh, wait, there's one more. Sorry. Hi. Yes. Thanks so much for your share. What does your uh, food plan look like? Can you talk about that in a little more detail? How do you make sure you're taking care of yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, So the question is, what does my food plan look like? Can I talk about that in a little more detail? I eat all foods moderately. There are certain foods that they're not, it's not breaking my abstinence to eat them, but in general, they don't work for me. And that list can change. Like, there's a food that I never thought about. I didn't think about that food for, like, 12 years. And then suddenly, about six months ago, that food seemed like a great idea. And I found myself, like, wanting to add that food to wherever I could. So on a daily basis... I let my sponsor know I'm not eating that food. Um, and so in general, it is, it's is—it's—it's three meals, it's two snacks. I know that if I'm eating, you know, if I'm not doing that just classic kind of, you know, nutrition of like balancing different food groups, I'm not going to feel so good and I'm going to want to eat other things. So um, 
I really, luckily, luckily I actually like and enjoy and crave relatively healthy food. So I just make sure I don't go too many hours without eating because then I'm psychotic. And then I want, and then I do overeat. I'm, I'm really grumpy and I really eat too much if I go too long without eating. So that's why I kind of do eat five times a day. And again, having kids, it can get a little hairy because it's their dinner and it's my husband's, you know. It, so I just, um, it's that if I'm accountable for it on a daily basis, then I can make shifts as I need to. Does that answer that at all? Okay, great. Yes? Um, could you talk, please, a little bit more about um, self-loving language that you use, you know, in, in the face of negativity or something mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes, the question is, can I talk more about self-loving language um, in the face of negativity? And I, I you know, I... I actually do um, I kind of talk to myself like I'm a, like I'm a kid um, in terms of, and again, I often, I will do this. I, I'd say I mostly do this via friends' voicemails, like my close friends in this room. I have certain friends, like my best friends in the world, and we mostly have a relationship over voicemail. If fellow's in here and everybody's busy, and I'll call and I will say, you know, like I, and I guess I'll just give like, an, you know, I just want to say to myself, like, honey, you're great. You're exactly where God wants you to be. Like, I, like, I will turn over. I'll turn over the crazy. I'll turn over, like, this is what my head says I should do and should be and should have. And this is what I know. I know that I am so blessed to have X, Y, and Z. I know that I am so, like, if it's a work thing, I actually know that I'm really good at this. I know that I wouldn't have the desire to do it if I wasn't good at it and wasn't supposed to be doing it. Um, I'll go through, it might be a gratitude, like I use a lot of gratitude lists, like so grateful for my health, so grateful for my body that can show up for my life in this way. Um, you know, so grateful for my willingness to cultivate intimacy in my relationships. I have a desire to cultivate intimacy. I do not always do it well, but I have a desire to do it. So I just, I just, I keep it super simple. And then sometimes it's just silently to God, like, um, you know, help me just remember that I am the beautiful image that you, you know, that you created. And I just, just kind of, it's simple and nonverbal all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are we done?